So uh, tonight's reading is from Luke 5, verses uh, 27 to 32. Uh, so this is the calling of Levi. <clears throat> After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the ta- his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Can you bring me back my special trick lectern? Thank you. I haven't got hands. Thank you very much both for the reading and the comedy show. And this is another one. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. Um, Can I just start by saying thank you very much to all the guys on the Alpha Dayway for coming up and um, saying something. I know having sat in those pews many years ago in the same situation. I know how much courage it takes to come and say something, but I know that all of us are very grateful because it's so encouraging to hear what God's doing. Um, So I'm really grateful. And I've been looking forward to today for some time because I knew there were going to be stories. Because over the years, I've probably done over 30 Alpha courses, and I have been on over 30 days away and there isn't a single one of them where God didn't turn up. And every single one of them I've come away from encouraged. And I know that this day away will have been very significant for some of you. It may be that this God who revealed himself through Jesus Christ has revealed himself to you in some personal way through his Holy Spirit. It might be as a result of something that you heard. It might be as a result of something that you saw or it might be as the result of something that you experienced. But you've come to a place where you feel able to put your trust in God and surrender yourself to him. For you, trusting in someone beyond yourself for the first time might have felt like a gigantic leap of faith. Or it might have been as a result of a gradual revelation which took place over weeks or even years. You may not be sure at what point you crossed the line and would say that you had faith. And even now you still have lots of questions, but you can no longer consider yourself to be an atheist. For others, that hasn't been your experience. And the idea of surrendering yourself to a God who you're still unsure about is not an option. And I know that because that was my experience. But whatever position you're in, right here today. You are very, very welcome. Tonight, I have chosen to speak about Levi coming to faith, not only because it's a great story, but also because it illustrates for me why I first rejected the idea of becoming a Christian and why I later changed my mind. In this story, there are three main characters. There's Levi, the tax collector, There's Jesus, and there's the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious purists amongst the Jews. 
They taught the Jews that the way that you had to please God was by being righteous. And the way that you could be righteous was by sticking to the exact letter of the law, no matter what the consequences. For the Pharisees, the law came above everything else. Not even love or mercy came above the law. And to be fair, if they were going to be judged by the letter of the law, they were model citizens. However, if their interactions with Jesus were anything to go by, for all their legalistic righteousness, they very often missed the point entirely. Because they were much more interested in whether or not the crowds were appreciating them and respecting them than they were in anything else. Jesus said about the Pharisees that they were like whitewashed tombs, clean on the, inside, on the outside, but impure on the inside. Now, I have to confess that I partially understand where they were coming from. Their fixation with obeying the rules was not dissimilar to my understanding of Christianity as a child. I also believed you had to earn your way to heaven. Because I was raised in a church-going family, and we attended services faithfully every single Sunday. But somehow, in spite of this, I managed to completely misunderstand Christianity entirely. Because, you see, I understood as a child that Christianity was a set of rules. If you followed the rules successfully, you were a good person. And good people go to heaven. On the other hand, if you failed to attain sufficiently high moral standards, you were a bad person, and bad people were forbidden to enter the heavenly gates. And so, not surprisingly, as a child, I was somewhat fixated with whether or not I'd managed to be good enough to get in. The way I saw it was like this. There is this massive staircase which runs between heaven and earth. We all start midway, and every time any of us does something good, we take a step towards heaven. And every time we do something bad, we step, take a step away from heaven. With this in mind, I tried very hard to be good. I used to pray to God every night before I went to sleep. And I'd say sorry for the many naughty things I'd done. And I'd ask God to help me to be good the next day. I used to dread my prayer time. The only reason I reported in to God at all is because he was the adjudicator. It was up to him to decide how many steps I'd take and in which direction those would be. The reason the process was so torturous was no matter how genuine my intentions were and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't be good. As a rule, it would take me less than five minutes from getting out of bed to um, make my first tactical error. For instance, I'd wake up, I'd get up and get dressed, I'd brush my hair, I'd do my teeth, I'd make my bed, and without making a fuss through any of it. And at that point, I am, I think you will agree, the golden child. Step in the right direction. I would then exit my bedroom to discover one of my siblings playing with my toy. Obviously, I didn't like that, so I would remove my toy from danger. You would probably think that that would be rescuing the toy several steps in the right direction, but apparently not. 
I'm led to believe there's some rule about sharing. I wasn't terribly keen on that, and I didn't know who added it in there. But anyway, so that apparently was a step in the wrong direction. So I returned my toy to my sibling with a seriously bad attitude and entered a massive sulk. Double step in the wrong direction. Then I shouted at the adult who tried to discipline me and got screaming back to my bedroom. Landslide in the wrong direction. Regroup in bedroom. Exit the room, apologize, and eat my breakfast of egg without mentioning that it is freezing cold and disgusting. Neutral. Do the washing up without being asked. Oh yes, one step forward, you good and faithful servant. Help sibling with shoelace. Offer to carry sibling satchel. I am on a roll. Compliment adult on new dress. Check for wings. Surprised by weight of satchel, ask what's in it and discover my toy cash register. Yes, you heard it, my toy cash register. Lose plot. Not only lose all ground taken, but make headway in wrong direction. It's not even nine o'clock. I can't tell you how depressing it was to find myself at the end of the day having to report back to God, apologizing yet again for exactly the same things. After all, how sorry can you be if you apologize and then take the first opportunity to go right ahead and do the same thing again? Not surprisingly, by the time I reached my teenagers, I ditched the religion altogether. I saw no advantage whatsoever in reporting to the despotic God I'd been introduced to, and I certainly didn't feel comfortable surrendering control of my life to him. I couldn't see the point of it. Anyway, so that's the Pharisees and me. <laughs> Levi, on the other hand, was an entirely different kettle of fish. Now, Levi was likely to be, have been a quite wealthy bon viveur, living it large. And he's likely to have belonged to the each to his own, you only, have, you only live once, so make the most of it and hang the consequences, school of thought. We know this because as we've just heard, he was Jewish and he was a tax collector. That little tiny piece of information gives us quite a lot to go by. The reason I say that is that tax collectors did not have a good reputation. This was for two reasons. Number one, they were not collecting taxes on behalf of their Jewish citizens. They were collecting them on behalf of the detested Roman Empire, the occupying army. Levi was Jewish, but he was collaborating with the enemy. He was a traitor. And number two, as if that wasn't bad enough, tax collectors made their living by charging an extra amount on top of the taxes required by the Romans. They were allowed to charge as much money on top as they possibly could from each person, and that is how they became rich, at the expense of their very own people. So Levi wasn't just a traitor, he was also an extortionist to boot. Not really the way to make yourself very popular with the general public. 
we go back to this story, given that Levi's tax booth was likely to have been on a major international road that run between Damascus and Capernaum um, towards the Mediterranean coast and Egypt, he would most likely have been a well-known local character. And it's into this heady mix that the third character arrives. Jesus comes along with a whole crowd of onlookers. Now, he's been teaching and healing the sick for some time in that area. And he started to draw the followers away from the Pharisees towards himself. So that we can assume by the time this story takes place that both the Pharisees and Levi have encountered Jesus before and have probably made their mind up about what they think about him. Verse 27 tells us that as Jesus entered, he saw Levi and went over to chat to him. Now, given that at the time, Levi was actually in his tax booth, the place where the customs were collected, Levi and anybody else who was watching the scene knew for sure that Jesus knew he was talking to a tax collector. And yet, he saw fit to ask Levi to follow him, to become his disciple. Neither the Pharisees nor Levi could possibly have expected this because the religious leaders were not expected to speak to ne'er-do-wells like Levi, unless, of course, it was to rebuke them. If Jesus had wanted a follower, he shouldn't have asked Levi. He should have spoken to somebody in the Pharisees' holy club. And as if that wasn't countercultural enough, in verse 29, we see Jesus accept an invitation into Levi's house for a banquet in his honor, knowing full well that the house would be overflowing with tax collectors and sinners. Sinners, as the Pharisees would have understood it, were those who were not obedient to the Jewish religious rules. Now, in this culture, if you ate with somebody, you were basically saying you're really happy to be affiliated with them. So the moment that Jesus stepped over Levi's doormat, he made the most shocking public statement possible. This religious leader is a friend of sinners. I can't tell you how distasteful that would have been to the Pharisees. In verse 30, they confront Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, if I go back to the staircase analogy, from the Pharisaical point of view, Jesus should have encouraged everybody who was right at the top of the staircase, and he should have disciplined the people who were at the bottom of the staircase. But that's not what he does. He rebukes the people at the top, which in the Pharisees' opinions would be themselves, and then he scampers all the way down to the very bottom, and he associates and befriends the people on the bottom steps. And worse even than that, he tells everybody on the bottom steps that he can give them free passes to his party at the top in the holy club. And these passes mean they don't even have to climb the steps, they can get a lift in his lift. He, they, yes, get a lift in his lift for free. For the Pharisees, the holy club was supposed to be a re- reserved for the elite, for the best of the best. So not only was Jesus ignoring their leadership and undermining their authority, 
but he was inviting the hoi polloi into their holy club. No wonder they had issues with him. In verse 31, Jesus' response to the Pharisees' question takes the form of an allegory. By their behavior and their comments, the Pharisees have made it abundantly clear that they believe as a result of obedience to the law that they are the righteous, i.e. they are spiritually healthy, and that Levi, by failing to adhere to any law in the book, is spiritually sick and is a sinner. Jesus, therefore, explains, it is not for the healthy, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I was in my late twenties by the time I learned the good news that Levi learned that day. That all those who were willing that they could never in a million years be able to reach the top of the stairs by their own righteousness and are willing to accept Jesus' offer of the free past, anybody is welcomed. For in reality, whatever the Pharisees may have believed, no human being apart from Jesus has ever been able to be morally good enough to reach the top of the staircase by their own merit. It's for that reason that God, who so loved us, sent his only son to rescue us, so that whoever believes in him and accepts the invitation will not perish but instead will have eternal life with him in heaven. It was only once I had understood that, the God, that God is like a loving and forgiving father, not like a disapproving gatekeeper, that I, like Levi, felt able to put my trust in him and surrender control of my life to him. It was at that point that I finally felt myself able to open myself to the Holy Spirit. And at that point, I had such an overwhelming experience of God's love that I can truthfully say I have never been the same since. I'm aware that that sounds like a completely ludicrous statement, but I give you my word, I believe it to be true. In the Bible, the prophet Ezekiel explains it like this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. All I know is that from me, from that point onwards, I found that many of the issues that I had had, such as a short temper and an inability to forgive, seemed to slip away. And in their place, I found I had a compassion for others that hadn't been there before. It felt as if previously, all the expectations of everybody I had known had put boxes around me. This is what you should be like if you're a girl. This is what you should be like if you are going to be teaching. This is, and I found that as I got filled with the Spirit, I was able to break out of all those. I'd worried previously that becoming a Christian would limit my ability to enjoy life and would entail giving things up that I enjoyed and learning to have to dial down and conform to a bland and indistinct Christian norm. In fact, what I discovered was the reverse. Although I did feel that God did ask me to give some things up, he only asked me to give things up because they were either damaging myself or someone else. But when I was able to open myself up to his spirit and his guidance, 
Rather than losing my identity and having to conform, I discovered a newfound freedom to be fully and uniquely me. Once Levi invited Jesus into his house and into his life, he would never be the same again. I believe that's true for anybody who's willing to do likewise. Again and again, I've seen people do the Alpha course and come to faith, and I have seen their lives transformed. Because personal transformation and freedom are guaranteed byproducts of anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrendering control of his life to another, opening himself up to God's guidance, and allowing himself to be transformed was undoubtedly a scary prospect for Levi, as I'm sure it has been for many people who've made that step. But I would suggest it was the best decision he ever made. You see, the Bible tells us that God is our creator, that he knit us together in our mother's wombs. He is our designer. He knows everything about us. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. And he knows our gifts, and he knows our potential. In other other words, he knows what the best looks like for each one of us as an individual. When we hand over control of our life to God, we don't, as I once believed, limit our options, but we open ourselves to greater possibilities. If I could leave you with one thought, it would be this. We are all on a spiritual journey, and that journey is different for each one of us. But no matter where you are, whether you've been a Christian for one minute or a millennium, it doesn't matter. Whether, you're not, whether you've prayed the prayer or you haven't prayed the prayer, each one of us needs to press into everything that God has for us. So I would suggest if you're someone who still has far too many questions unanswered to be able to open yourself to the Spirit, that's okay. But let me encourage you not to give up asking until you've had the answers you need. And if you're unsure if God exists or not, let me encourage you to find out. Why don't you come forward this evening and get some prayer and ask God to make himself real to you tonight? And if you know in your heart that you've heard enough, that even though you still have some questions, you can no longer call yourself an atheist, let me encourage you to pray the prayer. Do it today, don't delay. And if you've already invited the Holy Spirit into your life, please don't stop coming forward for prayer. Whether you've been a Christian for a day, a year, or a century, you need to take every opportunity you can to be filled with the Spirit. Because it's when we're filled with the Spirit that we are transformed into the person that God created us to be. And it is when we are filled with the Spirit that we are equipped to experience life in all its fullness. Thank you.